Welcome to the Innovation and Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the Innovation and Government. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Nicholas Spies, the Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. <clears throat> Nicholas, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. The growth of artificial intelligence and machine learning over the last few years is unmistakable. Agencies have realized the potential and real benefits of using advanced technologies to improve decision-making, analyze large databases, and address mission challenges. Bloomberg government estimates agencies are on track to spend about $5 billion on total AI investments this year alone. The initial use cases and successes are driving even more investments. For instance, the National Science Foundation requested more than $850 million in AI-related research and development funding in fiscal 2021. That's about a 70% increase above its fiscal 2020 request. The Defense Department's 2021 budget request also would boost the Joint AI Center's funding from $242 million to $290 million, and DOD is asking for another $449 million for AI-related projects for the Defense Advanced Research Projects, or DARPA. All this spending doesn't necessarily translate into long-term successes. That's why the administration and GSA created the AI Community of Practice. It launched in November and now has more than 400 members from 26 agencies. The goal is very simple, help agencies find and apply best practices and examples where agencies have successfully deployed AI for customer experience, human resources, advanced cybersecurity, and business purposes. So how can agencies continue to make this progress? How common, how are these common mistakes that they should avoid? Well, that's where our guest comes in. Nicholas Spies, the chief technologist at Snowflake, will help us understand how agencies can build on these early AI and machine learning successes. So we've talked a lot about AI. You can see the budget. It's, it's very exciting. But is there, is there substance behind all this buzz? Absolutely. The numbers we see across all the agencies you just listed should be a prime indicator that this stuff is real. Um, artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, the opportunity there for us and across all industries, not just in government, is substantial. Not necessarily replacing what we do today, but doing it in a smarter way. Uh, a lot of the, the folks in the cloud industry, a lot of folks in data industry say that being data-driven is the best way to make decisions. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is how we feed that. I think you make an interesting point that the data-driven piece, everyone says you got to use data to make better decisions. But it's, it's how do you get there? And there's a lot of tools and a lot of, if you will, emphasis on, okay, what the right tools, what were the wrong tools? So give me a sense of, as we talk about using data, where, where does AI play in that? I mean, it's, it's the underlying what? Sure, we've, we've actually in the industry been building this architecture for decades. We built it with Hadoop, we built it with shared nothing architectures. We built it before that with our first initial cloud offerings. Uh, where we're at now is using machine learning to control situations where there's a lot of variables. For example, think about in the medical community, trying to figure out uh, for a certain individual what conflicts of different prescriptions they might have. Those conflicts across any number of variables, demographic, health, weight, uh, all of those things are important <coughs> factors or could be important factors for that individual. Being able to look at all of those variables in a very quick way and serve out recommendations to pharmacists is just one example of a great way of using machine learning and artificial intelligence. The variable piece, I think, is one is why there's so much exciting about it. Before, 
you or someone like yourself who's an engineer would have to say, okay, how do I develop a piece of software that can at least look at some of this? Or how do I have to look at all these audit logs if you're talking about cybersecurity? Is that the driving factor here? Is that, wow, look how much quicker we can move? Uh, it is part of it. So a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of companies in the industry have built basic tool sets <laughs> or the building blocks of those architectures. So you look at technology companies, uh, cloud data companies like Snowflake, you look at some of the middleware like Data Robot or UiPath, these companies are getting better at building commercial off-the-shelf offerings that can be that foundation that we build these offerings on top of. So agencies and, and organizations are left to just build that top 30% that's specific to their mission and really get that value out, one, for less cost, but two, also more in a more catered, more effective way. When you say more catered, more effective way, meaning more specific to the mission area, instead of just saying, well, we have a tool that can look at data, we can say, no, we have a tool that looks at data for waste, fraud, and abuse, or a tool that looks at data for comparing medical problems of veterans, I mean, as an example. Absolutely. Our brains are wired differently, so must our AI and ML inf infrastructures. A lot of agencies are going down this path, as you heard, the spending is huge, over a billion dollars in the civilian sector alone. DOD has uh, several hundred million as well. What goes into a successful AI project? What are some of those key factors we should keep in mind? So again, it's going back to those foundational pieces. Um, it's a best practice these days to maximize the use of as much open source or uh, commercially available software as you possibly can. Okay, so I'm gonna interrupt you. Open source Please. or commercial available, those seem to be two different things. I'm thinking proprietary, I'm thinking I gotta buy the piece from Snowflake and I gotta buy the piece from somebody else and I gotta somehow hopefully integrate. We're talking about open source and open standards? Open source and open standards, yes, absolutely. Put you on the spot there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, and that's really where the IT world is going. If we think about what we as engineers used to do 10 years ago, we talked about the speed of spinning disk, the speed of our network connections. Now we talk about what APIs are available. How does data move from place to place and how do we handle that better? That's sort of the, the evolution of that. Open source and open standards, open interfaces, that's really the answer. So we start with those foundational pieces. But agencies also need to understand like what goes into it. It's not just the tools, it's the other pieces and parts. So as you work with your federal customers, what are you seeing, okay, this, is, this makes it successful or this, this doesn't make it successful? Give me, give me some of those things that you're seeing from your federal customers. Sure, um, successful, unsuccessful, I would say a challenge in that arena would, we'll start with security. Um, that's always a challenge, especially in the federal government. The data that they collect can be uh, sensitive in, in a, at a lot of different ways. Um, another challenge and sort of shortfall that we see a lot of folks do is over-rotating on custom software and tool sets. I'll keep repeating it over and over again because it's a relevant point we've seen over and over. If you try to take on too much and build too much customization, like any monolithic system of the past 40 years, that's a huge challenge to maintain and to optimize over time. Uh, this is really where Agile and DevOps comes into its own, being able to very quickly pivot on a capability you want to explore further. I think that's a great piece of, of advice around <clears throat> Agile and DevOps. Agencies are starting to move there, but they have this tendency to, I'll use the term you said, over-rotate, try to put too much into one, oh, we need this piece of software, and that software will be able to do these 20 things. No, no, just do one thing, and then build upon that one thing. And is those are the conversations are you having, starting to have with, with customers? Absolutely, it's, it's you know, again, uh, technologies like us, data, cloud data warehouses, we have open standards, ODBC, JDBC, stuff everyone has used in the past. We're not the only ones in that game. Making data go from there into a cloud AI platform or a cloud ML platform, it's just a matter of wiring up the right things, building the right technology pieces in place, 
And we stress to folks, use that, the, the capabilities inherent to those products, meet with vendors, meet with open source technologists, <clears throat> meet with those folks at their conferences. We hit upon security, we'll probably come back around to that. Let me ask you, are, are there other, when, when you look at agencies and, and as they're going forward with AI, ML projects, are there other success factors that are outside of this technology? Is it, is it a top-down leadership type of discussion? I mean, it always is to a certain always. extent, but it also sometimes it's a bottom-up where, where people get excited about using the technology and they just have to have the runway to, to, go, to, to try something out. Absolutely, I hate to use buzzwords, but culture's repeated over and over again in these discussions, and for good reason. Um, I think when it comes to the culture of the machine learning and AI side, it's uh, a couple of different perceptions. One, that everything's going to take my job. That's the first, and you know we can go back to that too. The, the bigger relevant thing there is, what is this really going to do for my agency, and how can I work alongside these tools, uh, and how can I leverage those tools to be better at what I'm doing in, in my profession? And that starts at the bottom end. On the top end, it's setting the right expectations and building the right architecture so that folks don't feel cornered or that the tool is more enabled than they are. And I'll give you an example there. We, we've seen a lot of times where a machine learning algorithm is given access to auditing data or billing data that even their own auditors at an organization were not given access to. That's kind of a, a backwards way of doing it and not how we want to do business in the future. You mentioned uh, the backwards way. Let's jump into mistakes. Are there common mistakes you're seeing now? Uh, I think that was a good one you brought up. The fact is, wait a minute, you're giving the machine access to data that I can't even get access to? Obviously, that's going to cause some Culture, cultural problems in and of itself, <laughs> but what are the mistakes? Uh, so I think uh, the, the migration from on-prem to cloud, we talk about AI and ML, we also talk about IT modernization at the same time. Those things are going on in parallel in the industry. IT modernization, moving from an on-premise environment into a cloud environment, that migration is key to how the outcome of AI and ML is going to work for your organization. So building the, moving that data, moving those applications, <clears throat> moving those structures into the cloud in a good way, and I'll, I'll be clear about that. If you move the silo from on-prem to the cloud, you haven't fixed any problems. Somebody else's computer is the joke we used to make about the cloud uh, five, 10 years ago, because we took virtual machines that were running on our environment and we moved them out to the cloud and didn't recognize savings or efficiencies. Same thing with our data, same thing with our modern applications. We have to move to cloud smartly, which will enable AI and ML, and will also help the culture change. Siloed data means siloed workers. And I think that's a, it's a great point you bring up, that if you're just pick, lifting and shifting into the cloud, you're, you still have whatever reason it didn't work before is not going to work now. Is there, to break down those silos, is, is, this, is, this is a good, go back to the culture change. Are you seeing mistakes or successes of how to break down those silos so you're not just picking up the on-prem and putting it in the cloud and then still having the same challenges? Uh, sure, we, so we have to start by admitting that we don't know what we don't know. How our agency, we're very good at generating data. Mm -hmm. We're, I think, mostly bad at deciding how we generate that data. What do we do Monday at five o'clock to get that data to be in the system on Tuesday? So gathering, uh, lack of a better term, metadata about how we work in our organization can give us more data points to make refinements to that process, which will then improve <clears throat> everything in our systems. It also opened the door for the connection to understanding why your silo, you need to break out of your silo. Oh, I didn't realize that the finance side used my HR data or vice versa. And now that I see that because of this AI tool we, that we came around, we came together around, I have a better understanding of not just your mission, 
but of how you're using my data, why my data is important to you. I think that that's another piece that sometimes gets lost. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's true across every organization and every department. No department of a company should, I'm sure some do, but none <laughs> should work in a complete vacuum. That collaboration between departments happens all the time. It's also probably a big success factor when you talk about how to get people to, to accept AI tools and ML tools. If they start, if, they, if, they, if you bring people together around the tool, around a working group that says, okay, here's what we're trying to achieve, and here's the tool we, we want to use, or a set of tools we want to use, uh, it's not so much, well, that's what you're doing, and I'm not a part of it. It's, it's we're part of this together, and we're moving forward together, and then the benefits kind of rise, and you get acceptance. Absolutely. Don't let this be a black box in your organization. Don't try to personify it and, and name it, right? This is a, it's a process, it's a tool, it informs how your organization uh, or your agency does business. Treat it as such. Be transparent about what it's doing and how it makes its decisions, and take feedback from every level on how it could do it better. The key word you didn't quite say, but I'll, I'll fill in the blank here, Appreciate is that. trust and, and transparency. Ab and I think that's Absolutely. what we hear time and again when, when I talk to CIOs and others who are trying to move into this AI world is, we have to establish those two things, trust and transparency, both internally, but also with citizens. And there's a citizen side to this too, as you as, as agencies use more AI and ML tools, what do you hear from them on citizens, this, the external? Sure, um, and the, a lot of times folks don't want their, their data to be used in ways that they don't understand. They don't want that data to go to places that they haven't approved of, but that's getting hotter every year, uh, maybe even every day. So again, transparency from the organization back to the citizenship on how that is done. I think we've done some great work with the federal data strategy on the federal side. Most states are also sort of echoing a lot of those sentiments to be transparent about how data is used and how it's arranged in the federal government. I think those are all great initiatives. One of the big deals about the, the trust is if, if you understand not just where the data is going, where it came from and how it's being used, but what the outcome is, I think you also can establish that longer term, okay, well, they used it, they, things got better, the service I got was better, the, the outcome was better, and I think that, that plays a big role too. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. There is always a need for accurate, actionable data, but that need now is more critical than ever. Snowflake is the cloud data platform that provides a single source of truth for data analysts, scientists, and those on the front lines of the challenges facing our country today. Learn how Snowflake's cloud-agnostic near-infinite elasticity and scalability can help your agency with data-driven decision-making. Sign up for an online demo today at snowflake.com federal. That's snowflake.com federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Nicholas Spies, the Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. Now, Nicholas, before break, we were talking a little bit about the, this idea of what makes a successful AI project, what are some of the mistakes agencies should avoid. One of the things that I think uh, I've been hearing a lot about when it comes to AI is this idea of governance. And on a typical IT project, you, governance seems to take the first step. Okay, what do we need? How do we get there? Who's involved? It seems like with AI, maybe that's flipped a little bit. What, what, what's, what are some thoughts about governance? Uh, it is flipped a little bit. And a lot of, a lot of what we've built, the tools that we've built as an industry in the past was with that construct in mind. Uh, thankfully, the industry has responded to a lot of the governance problems in the AI and ML. Well, we're responding to where we think things are going. I should wow. put it that way. <laughs> uh, we're building out things like rule-based access control, um, metadata tagging, and doing our access decisions based on metadata tagging, which... 
allows us to put richer rules in place for things like AI and ML that, as we mentioned, as we break down silos, we're exposing a lot of potentially sensitive data to an algorithm that will produce an output. Making sure the inbound and the outbound parts of those are safe for not just citizens, but also for customers on the commercial side is very important to everybody involved in this. There was a term I heard years ago when we started talking about data, and I wanna, I'll go back to 2006 even, where they talk about the mosaic effect. Well, if I have this data and that data and this data, oh, uh, now I, I've learned something. Is that part of this governance discussion is the unintended consequences of bringing all this data together? Absolutely. Uh, loose lips sink ships, right? It's, <laughs> it's the same thing, but now in a digital world. Loose data sinks <laughs> data ships or something. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> and that's, so that's what we're trying to avoid by um, applying rules at various points throughout the architecture and through the flow of data as that AI and ML algorithm does its work. That's absolutely critical for the same reasons. The role-based access, I keep hearing that time and again when it comes, because there's always conversations around cybersecurity, zero trust. The whole goal is, okay, who has access to the data? What kind of access do they have? Can the AI tool be part of that discussion, meaning, hey, we can build into this algorithm that, hey, Nicholas can read it, but he can't write against it, or Jason can write and read it, but can't share it. You can build that into the AI tool? Absolutely, and and, and absolutely should build that into the tool. It should be, um, you mentioned we kind of inverted that pattern, right? Now we're talking about governance at the end, but we're dealing with governance at the end. We should be talking about it from the very first second that we start talking about putting an artificial intelligence or machine learning workflow into our environments. So why do you think, and maybe this is a question for some other researcher type of person, but why, why do you think on AI governance is on the back end versus the front end? Like, like if you do a more typical software development project, you would talk about on the front end. Why, why do you think on AI it's on the back end? I think as we look at, at the different silos that it gathers data from and we look at the outcomes, in the beginning phase, it's could I or could I not do my job? And that's mostly where governance came in, making sure I had access to what I was supposed to. On the end, it's do I get the outcome that I want? So we're really filtering the end to make sure that what is created is not harmful instead of making sure that the wrong people didn't see the wrong stuff in the middle. When you talk to agencies and you work with uh, federal customers, are they bringing up governance, or is it just like, well, what can I use the tool for? Where, where, where is it? Where, how quickly can I go? I mean, every conversation, absolutely, okay. and and we're glad to see that. Um, we built a lot of tools into into the cloud technology stack. Um, Snowflake is being a part of that ecosystem. We've built those in to be able to react and respond to those needs, and I think we've done a pretty good job. You mentioned this earlier, and this I think is kind of sh sh comes down off of governance is is what is the impact on the workforce and. One thing that I think agencies have to manage is the fear, and you said it earlier, is this AI tool going to take my job? Is the <laughs> robot going to take my job? It's kind of silly now, but I st still think there's some, I'll call it trepidation of, of, of federal employees, and probably in the private sector too, of, okay, what does this mean for me? We talked culture earlier, but let's dig that into deeper. Should, is there a robot economy coming? Should, do we have to worry about, the, the, what should the workforce really prepare for? So the robot economy is coming, but not in the way we all think. The robot economy is not going to be taking the jobs from our, our experts, it's going to be informing our experts in better ways. I go back to the medical analogy I made earlier. We don't want a, an AI assigning prescriptions to a patient. What we really want is for the AI to say, I've seen this combination of factors in a, a multitude of, of other folks that met the same criteria this person does, and there might be a risk to giving this same prescription out. And here are some other recommendations of things that worked for those patients. That's the sort of inf informing uh, uh, construct that we really want 
uh, AI and ML to take on. And it's true in every, in every region, right? Fraud, waste, and abuse, a lot of the same thing. We don't want an AI or ML to disapprove transactions in Medicaid, but we do want it to look for someone who's trying to do a transaction in Florida at the same time as California. That's probably false and should uh, initiate an audit. I think the other piece of this, and I love the term robot economy, maybe I'll start stealing that now too, <laughs> but I think one of the things is get also agencies or, or any organization off of the mundane, the repetitive work. Again, this is not necessarily robotics process automation, which is maybe a, a light version of AI, I think some people would say, but it, hey, if, if you can process the data faster and I don't have to worry about it and I can just see the end result. That makes my job much more rewarding, valuable, because I'm making better decisions, or at least getting the data to the person who has to make the better decision, in your case, like the pharmacist, or if, if it's uh, the auditor for waste, fraud, and abuse. Absolutely. It's the one thing that humans do better than anything is make a, a, a solid decision. Um, we hope so, at least. We hope so. Yeah. We hope so. There's YouTube videos that say otherwise. <laughs> but you know, we always hope that humans make better decisions than computers. But what computers do very well is look at a multitude of variables across millions of samples and deliver a succinct result. One of the th things I hear from vendors is they want to have everyone be a, a data scientist of sorts. You don't need to be the trained one, but let's make tools that are easy to use, that, um, uh, if you will, a small amount of training can really be powerful to get a federal employee, to get a contractor, get somebody up and running. Talk a little bit about that workforce piece of that, the training side or the understanding of tools. How does Snowflake, if you will, when you guys hey, here's our tool, use it. There's a lot of training that goes into that. Yeah, you know, Snowflake is, is um, a data warehouse in the cloud. So all the data that you gather over months, years, days, decades, all sits in Snowflake. To get that awareness to folks at the lower level, we call that democratization of data, right. and I'm using air quotes, um, because it really is a, a term that we've invented to show that Folks that are doing everyday decision-making in their jobs can make better decisions with data, and that comes from that data being in a warehouse and represented by a good tool like uh, Looker or Click or MicroStrategy. There's a ton of great tools out there that help folks who maybe aren't data scientists be a little more data science-y and make better decisions at work. And at the same time, the, the fact is the data is in this warehouse. It, it has to be, as you said, tagged and has role-based access and have all these other pieces and parts to it, but that the user has to at least understand that's there. How it gets there, maybe it's not that important, but oh, okay, so if I do a search for this type of word, I can get all the, meta, the data that's been meta-tagged with this topic. Absolutely. I think that's the part of that understanding. Yep, back to governance and trust and transparency. Right, The data that I'm gonna get is accurate, I can believe what it says, and I know I'm supposed to have access to it. When you talk about the democratization of data, is that the next step for a lot of agencies? Meaning that, okay, you're getting the pieces and parts, the underlying foundation, you're moving to the cloud, which we'll get back to in a second. You're putting some tools out there for people to use. Okay, now now let's let's use those tools and be smart about it. Is, do you think that's where agencies are heading next? I, I hope so, because <laughs> this, is, this is really the end game of what we've been doing with IT modernization, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, and cloud scale, which I'll, I'll take your hold on that one. But really, that's where we're headed, is to give everybody, the, there's no point in gathering this data if we don't use it for something. And that something maybe has been a dot, dot, dot for the last couple of years. It's really come into focus as being a workforce enabler and an efficiency seeker. That's what we're trying to strive for. 
I think that's a the key piece there, workforce enabler, efficiency seeker, because so much of what we've been talking about technology over the last 30 years is, oh, better productivity, more, more get more done because of technology, and, and people are, feel like, no, I have more work because of technology. <laughs> Absolutely. I can get more done, but I have a lot more work. Uh, let's, let's go into the cloud conversation, because I think that's a critical piece. You mentioned that if you're just moving stuff from on-prem to the cloud, lift and shift, you're not initially fixing the problems that AI is trying to solve. So let's start first. Uh, the cloud, obviously, I, uh, I would imagine, is the right place for this because where else are you going to store all your data? Where, is you right. gonna, where are these tools going to live? Yeah, we can't get scale like the cloud has anywhere on on premise in an environment. At least you could, but um, you know the, the, cost. the cost effectiveness would be prohibitive to every agency. And data democratization um, that means that everybody has access to it. That's what, really what we're striving for. So. As we look at where we could do it, cloud is the only place to get the scale, to get the storage scale in one place with all data, those silos broken down, because honestly, we usually built those silos around how fast disks could spin. And the cloud doesn't have to be the be all end all, meaning you could do the, the work in the cloud, but then the data can come back to you and live on premise, especially if it's a sensitive side, because I imagine when you talk to the Intel community or the DOD or some, some law enforcement, they may say, well, we don't want our data in the cloud, but we definitely want to use the tools that are in the cloud. Is that part of that conversation of, of, of being comfortable with, okay, we're going to use the tools, but we're going to own the data type of thing? It's a really interesting uh, discussion point because a lot of folks that we talk to, we get the security discussion all the time. I don't want my data in the cloud. It's not as safe. But honestly, if you go to an organization and ask them, how do you share data today between yourself and another agency? Well, they take a file, a CSV, and they FTP it between agencies <laughs> with no control, right? Uh, how many endpoints do you have on your, in your network? Well, 20,000. Well, how do you secure those? Are they all patched? Uh, all of the malware and, and uh, ransomware that we saw a couple of years ago that got through systems were because they weren't patched correctly, they weren't maintained correctly, and it's really hard to keep a grasp on all of that. The cloud simplifies that to a great degree, making one place to secure one set of APIs. As long as it's governed correctly, uh, we can always come back to that and feel safe there. And if you're adding the role-based access on top of it, which a lot of these AI tools can do, then you're also adding that, that we're going to bring up a buzzword, the zero trust piece. That, <laughs> that starts building up. And okay, well, who has access? Why do they have access? How did they have access? What did they do to the data? And then are they logging in from the right place? If, if Nicholas always logs in from Washington, D.C., and then all of a sudden logs in from L.A., maybe that's okay, but maybe it's a red flag, too, that the AI can bring up and say, okay, okay, he's, he's on travel, or well, I just saw him a week, you know, an hour ago, he can't be in L.A. Absolutely, a lot of these tools, and, and that's, that's funny, we're now using AI as part of a system to guard AI. But <laughs> yeah, you know, that layers. layers. Um, doing all of that is a great way to secure the systems, also making sure the data can only be accessed at certain times of day, for example. Those are all uh, valid use cases. We're almost out of time, but let's talk a little bit looking forward. A lot of agencies are down this path. Again, nobody starts at zero, nobody's at 100. I, I say it all the time. What are some of the big takeaways from our conversation? What should agencies keep in mind as they start to implement and spend more and more money on these AI tools and get, get the benefits? Yeah, I would say, uh, above all, look outside. Uh, nobody's doing this in a vacuum. Great agencies who have made a lot of progress, Department of Energy and DHS have some great examples to give. There's so many others. HHS has another great example, CMS. A lot of great agencies have done great work. They did that great work by looking outside, talking not just to other agencies, but vendors who have a, a talk in this space, 
uh, folks who are working in legislative side on some of these issues. The federal data strategy is a phenomenal resource. Everybody should be looking at the president's management agenda. Again, has a lot of great information in it. So look outside, come up with that strategy and how you get from here to there and start executing and call us when we can help. And would you say that the one big thing is to try something, try something small, take a small bite and, and apply some of this technology to a problem and see what happens because you can't wait for your data to be perfect and you can't wait to, to have the platform to be perfect. You still, you got to try something to, to kind of see where it takes you. 100%, absolutely. Start small, go big. Start small, go, that's good advice. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. So first let me thank my guest, Nicholas Spies, the Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. Nicholas, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.